welcome back or welcome to the Humans of Triathlon or Hot podcast where we bring you the ordinary but extraordinary world of triathlon one human one story at a time with the aim to inspire and to celebrate this life-changing sport and its humans through real authentic raw and enjoyable conversations with humans of triathlon from around the globe and from all walks of life Hello, hello, guys, and welcome to another fantastic episode of Humans of Triathlon. And the, you know why you always always bring you one human, one story at a time, and this one is very interesting story. We're very thrilled to have our guest tonight, or to this morning, or this afternoon, whatever in the world you are, we're all international. Uh, and uh, without any further ado, I'm going to give... Uh, the war to my lovely co-host, uh, Sheila Trilevin. All right. So there are moments in our life that stimulate us to make changes to our current situation. It might be an illness, the birth of a new baby, a new career, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, our guest today decided to quit smoking and start triathloning with the birth of his first daughter. It all started, of course, with a run as most of us would start, but his was to help aid in overcoming the symptoms of nicotine withdrawal. Injuries ensued as his bones couldn't seem to handle the new workload. So swimming joined the new routine. And so, hey, why not add in the bike after that? And that's where the triathloning all came in. It's just a natural progression. However, he was always struggling with injury, recovering, continually having, you know, pain and terrible fatigue, not something that you want to do in a sport like this. Um, and always feeling like that is pretty hard. Uh, still though, persevered doing triathlon until recently our guest was diagnosed with a very severe form of rheumatoid arthritis. This form of, of rheumatoid attacks the kidneys, liver, lungs, and the heart, making every step a challenge. Um, and, and of course, he has to use a lot of strong prescription medicine to help control this disease. Despite all these challenges, he refuses to let the rheumatoid arthritis keep him from showing up. He continues to race and train for triathlon, and actually this year completed Ironman Texas. Please welcome a man who is truly resilient and is inspiring others to do the same. Welcome, Alfredo Allende. Hey. hey guys, how are you? <laughs> that was an awesome intro, Sheila. Thank you. Don't worry, I was having a little trouble with my words there for a second. It was too much training today. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm excited to be here with you. How are you feeling, Alfredo? Feeling great. Uh, again, excited to be with you all. Finally here talking to you. Yeah, and we're very, very thrilled to have you. Very, very thrilled. Thank you. And, uh, Cannot wait to get our hands started onto this uh, wonderful conversation that I'm sure is going to be. And uh, as I told you uh, before we started uh, the podcast, we are like super structured. We are like very mathematical, <laughs> German, Japanese-like. So uh, in that sense, obviously, we're going to bring you to the first section of our podcast, which is like, please, can you please give us, all of the listeners, 
some sort of a profile picture of, uh, of where you come from, uh, if you were born somewhere in, on, on Earth or if you came on a spaceship like Superman, we want to know about it, right? And uh, just uh, is your, would you just go for it? Yeah, um, I wish I was coming from a different planet, but I, uh, I'm coming from, I'm born and raised in Lima, Peru. Um, and I lived there. Nice. Yes. Good food. Amazing food, amazing people. Um, and I'm, uh, I was there until I was 25. And then I moved to the U.S. Uh, I'm currently living, living in uh, Houston, Texas. And uh, enjoying the heat and humidity here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a lot. Uh, so, yeah. Yes, it's very intense. Can imagine like it would have been a very change because I know that uh, Lima is a, is a very it's very much like London here, you know, like very gray and uh, rainy. Uh, so I guess maybe the the change from that into hot and humid, sunny Houston maybe it was a, a big jump or yeah. So yes, Lima is uh, very much like uh, London uh, during the winter. It's gray and just great the weather is not as extreme it's very like san diego california uh and i first moved to miami and then i moved to san diego and then i moved to san antonio texas so i uh, i've been all over it was not uh, a jump straight to houston mm -hmm. but i would say even after being uh seven years here in Houston. Um, yeah, seven years. It's still uh, intense and you don't get used to it. It still uh, kicks my butt every time, every run. I bet. <laughs> I noticed like you have very little accent. So for someone that, you know, came to Canada or Canada, coming to Canada, to the United States from uh, Peru and, and at the age of 25, I mean, really, you don't have much of an accent. So did you speak English at home, like, when you grew up? Uh, I, I didn't, but I went to a school that taught English from first grade all the way to oh, okay. graduating high school. Uh, so I had the base. I had the English. I just didn't practice it. So I, I actually feel I have a heavy accent. I was joking with uh, a friend of mine, Chaz, uh that we were going to have to put subtitles on this podcast <laughs> because people were not going to understand what we were saying. Uh, but that well, thank you. I, yeah, I had that base and I just, when I moved uh, here in 2002, um, I just had to put it in practice. Now I do speak English at home. My wife is born and raised in San Diego, so she she's now picking up on Spanish, but uh, yeah, it's English all day. I wasn't sure. I know we have some like I have some friends here that uh, one parent will only only speak English to the kids, and one parent will only speak French to the kids, and um, so the kids are bilingual. Are you you're you doing that with your family as well? Yeah, I would love to say absolutely yes, but in reality, that was the plan. And then I s slowly started uh, switching to English because they're, they're 
most of the day with their mom. So English became their first language. And, and so I'm, I'm still trying with the Spanish and, and they're picking up, but they are definitely not fully bilingual yet. They are six and three years old, so I still have hope that uh, they will, you know, become fully bilingual at, uh, before they they are ten years old. Hopefully. Oh, you've got lots of time. Yeah, that would be good. Yes, yes, but I, I I've been slacking a little bit. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, usually what happens is uh, I've 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 heard many cases, you no, know, and uh, of these um, parents from different uh, cultural backgrounds. And uh, usually, yeah, one language overtakes the, the rest. And uh, the the thing is, if the if the kids don't uh, have a how do you call it a formal education on that second language, uh, usually what happens is that they 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 keep it as a very casual language because they know how to speak very very informally, like at home. But that's it. No, so they wouldn't be able to understand the, the news. Or to to work in a uh, yeah have a professional sort of career in that language. You know, so I think usually what happens is that at least the cases that I've known is that they they sort of have need to have a sort of formal education. I agree. I agree. Especially now that everything's uh, most forms of communication are written, um, yeah. you know, that's when uh, formal education kicks in. You know, the, your grammar, your uh, spelling. So, no, I completely agree, Charles. You're right. It won't be long before we don't even have to speak at all. Right? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's just so crazy from, from uh, when we were growing up. I mean, things are, I don't know if evolved or devolved, but they've changed hmm. a lot. That's for certain. I know. We could sit at a restaurant table together. And just text each other and never actually have to speak. <laughs> yes. You know, one time we, we went to dinner with my family and my uncle and my cousin. And I, uh, they put a, a little basket with bread, in the, you know, in the center. So I, I grabbed the basket and asked all of them to put their phones in there. Uh, and for a good hour and a half, we were all anxious because the phones were gone, right? But it, it did force us to really be present and be with each other and, you know, not just looking at your phone and, and being halfway present. So that was a good practice. <laughs> That's crazy, but it, it's what it takes now. Actually, it's not crazy. It's a really good thing that you did that. It is hard for us, right? We're, it's like we're, we're never turned off anymore. There's all, you're always waiting for someone or an email to come in or a text. Like, so I think that was awesome. Great idea to do. Yeah, it was. It was for sure. Indeed. Out of out, outside of the comfort zone, but it worked. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so let's go back to you know you're you're in Lima, Peru. You're growing up, and you can start us off. How how did you decide to come to the United States, or what brought you what brought you over? Yeah, so um, I have been here vacationing before, and I I have uh, quite a bit of family here spread all throughout the states. Uh, so um, my mom was actually living in uh, Florida, and my parents went through a divorce, and so did we, of course. And I decided I I wanted 
some change. I wanted some new adventures. I needed to find who I was. And I, I decided to come, uh, you know, be with my mom and support her and be close to her. And it would be a great opportunity for me to learn a, a little bit about myself and who I am and who I was at the time and, you know, where I was headed. Just a, a little bit of uh, supporting my mom and also a little bit of self-discovery and new adventures. Uh, I always had, I always had that uh, I, I need to go away mentality, you know, travel, uh, see, discover, uh, experience. So that's what I did. I was, it was not easy. At 25, you're set in your ways. Uh, you, you know, you're comfortable and it's, you know, starting from zero was not easy, but again, it's, it's what I felt in my heart I needed to do. And, and I did I followed my heart. Right. So I understand that your mother then, after the divorce, she moved to Miami and you sort of uh, went with her after her. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to, to make sure she was okay. I wanted to be close to her uh, and, you know, support her and whatever she needed. So that's, that's why I think that was my main driver. Uh, and then everything I mentioned before was, you know, second layer okay and did you have like a, a university degree by then or would you just gonna try to try some luck or what do you have a plan in your mind or yeah I, how what was going on in your head so i i did go to college back in peru uh, and uh, i studied economics and so i had that foundation my plan was to eventually uh go for a, you know, more like a specialization, I guess. Uh, but it, I never did it. I started working and from zero and I just moved my way through all the turns that life threw at me. And here we are. All right. So what do you do now besides triathlon? Yeah, so <laughs> I, I, uh, so I'm the, I work for a dental company and we have over, over 150 offices all throughout. Uh, and I work with a clinic in Houston and I'm, I'm the manager. So I do, I'm in leadership and I do everything, logistics and financial and all, every, all the back office stuff. So Everything that's not clinical, I do. We work with underserved communities mostly, so it's quite a bit of a. It's I would say it's a it's an amazing experience, uh, personal and professional, uh, to be able to do, you know, put a a good dent in the underserved communities and help them, and personally also it's 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 amazing to be able to. Uh, Oh, and it's also pediatric, so we see little guys, little ones all day. Oh. Uh, so, you know, helping those little ones have better oral health and, uh, you know, a, a, a good dental future, if you will, it's amazing. I mean, we see all kinds of stuff, and some of them are really 
harsh and heartbreaking, but you know, it's so fulfilling. It's amazing. So uh, yeah, that's so I I I'm blessed to be able to bless and to be part of the community in all kinds of ways, all sorts of ways. When you were 25 and you came over, did you picture what you're doing now at all in your mind, or was it something completely different that you thought you would work your way towards? I always knew I wanted to serve and bless other people, but I had no idea I would be in the dental field. And although I'm not clinical, I'm very involved in the whole process. So mm -hmm. to answer your question, I had no clue. Uh, but I'm, I'm, you know, life happens and uh, you can plan all you want, but most likely life will happen the way it's supposed to happen. So mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm glad it's, it's going the way it is. And it's awesome because... For example, I come home uh, one day and any day, and my Emma Joy, my oldest daughter, is like, "So, Daddy, how many kids uh, did you do you guys help with? You know, oh, we we saw thirty cases, for example. Did any of them cry? Were, did you make them happy? So she knows that her daddy is, you know, involved in making uh, little kids healthier, and she's proud of that. So. I think I'm blessed that I'm able to give that example for my kids as well. Uh, it's all creating that foundation. That's great. They're the most, you know, the kids are, they're so impressionable and it, you know, to see, you know, to see us and your parents do something for others or are you passionate about it gives them that same feeling too for when they grow up. So yeah, it's amazing awesome. how all the little things we do, just because it's our everyday, they're watching everything and they're listening and soaking it in. And those are little, those are little things are creating that foundation for their, who they're going to be in the future uh, as adults and what they're going to do for others. It's just, we need, we as adults need to be very careful because they're watching and soaking everything in. Oh yeah. Especially those early years is whatever, Whatever, like tiny details, I have no idea that they are watching, they're watching, they will emulate. And uh, that's, I think that's why parents have a huge responsibility in our early very on. Very huge, very Because huge. of that, I agree with you, definitely. Uh, also, I wanted to ask you, Alfredo, uh, before I forget, so I'm super forgetful. Yeah, I, I, again, this is, this is uh, the humans of triathlon, sort of a super German, Swiss, Japanese uh, <laughs> structure side of us coming, coming out of me right now. And he want this part of me wants to ask you, like how uh, how involved were you in, in, in with sports in your early life? No, so we already know that you uh, came from were born in Lima, Peru, and you're 25, and you moved to your mall to Miami, and then eventually that led you to where you are in Houston. But then on the sports side, so uh, can you tell us a little bit of uh, were you someone who was just a couch potato, or were you just like? Uh, uh, an Ironman since you were three years old. So what, uh, can you put us a little perspective there? <laughs> yes. Um, so uh, I was always very involved in sports. Um, I'm from uh, La Punta, which is a, a beach town in Lima. Uh, so we grew up uh, surfing from 
since we were six, seven years old. Nice. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Very, very intense summers, you know, a uh, big group of friends that will surf all day, then skateboard at night, you know, the next day do it all over again. Um, and then in school, I was always involved in uh, mostly, uh, I, I love track running, track uh, running, and I was, I was good at it. I was pretty fast. And then, of course, the good old soccer matches, you know, the weekend soccer matches. And so always very active. Uh, I was, you know, the kind of kid that is always, always picks up the sport and gets good at it. I do think there's Peru is not as, or at least back then it was not like it, uh, it is now, where sports are very a lot more structured and you know uh, encouraged. So I never pursued any of my sports uh, in a serious way. It was always just for fun, but I was good at, at them. So always very active, uh, even. Later on in life, uh, until right before picking up triathlon, I was, you know, into the, going to the gym and lifting weights and, you know, always staying in shape. And so I've, I've always enjoyed sports as a not only way of having, having fun, but also as a way of de-stressing and staying, staying healthy and, and not physically and mentally healthy. So... I've always found a, a good outlet in sports. Okay. Yeah, yeah it was always <clears throat> my way of staying sane and dealing with stress, and uh, which it, which we can, I'm sure we'll touch on that later. But you know, my why back then was de-stressing and dealing with stress, whereas now my why, my why I do it changed to. Uh, you know, finding, finding, finding myself internally and connecting myself, uh, my internal self with my physical health, my physical self. So if, I don't know if that makes sense, but, uh, you can be, especially in endurance sports, you can be physically in great shape, but if your mind is not present and if, if your mind is not there, it's going to be tough. So, but we'll touch on that later. Yeah, yeah. Believe me, we will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And actually, I'm going to use one of another one of uh, these uh, structure questions that Swap Neil. Uh, I think he hasn't used in a while, but I'm going to bring it back because I think it fits very well at this point in the podcast. Right. So now we know. Right. Born in Lima came to Miami, then eventually in Houston, you were very much involved in sports. You're good at it because you adapt and you can, uh, you never pursued it as a professional or seriously, but at least uh, you enjoy it and you were like from surfing, skateboarding, football, so a lot of stuff, right? But now, if, you're, if you are writing, right, a biography of yourself, mm -hmm. uh, and um, now we are at the point after you move to the U.S., right? So uh, imagine anything that we haven't discussed yet. So this is the this is the the chapter of the book that comes next, right? So uh, first of all, what will be the title of this chapter, uh, and then if you can just uh, walk through us a little bit through the chapter. Yeah. So um, 
I, I would title it maybe uh, before and after triathlon. There's there's a big, I guess, a, a very thick line between uh, my life before I started uh, with triathlon and after. You know, it, it it didn't only change my my exercising and my uh, my way of seeing sports. It also changed my uh, every day in every aspect of my life, and it, it changed my family dynamics. Uh, so I think I, that's what I would title it. Right. So and then, how how would you think? Uh, so what what are, what are the things that you think that uh, triathlon has changed? If you want to make it easy for you, you can tell us how do you come in touch with the sport. Okay. So 2014. Uh, my first uh, daughter was born in 2013. 2014, <clears throat> I remember clearly uh, my wife tells me, hey, you." I had been with the baby, you know, just spending some time with her and playing with her. And my wife tells me later on that night, uh, she goes, hey, uh, Emma Joy was smelled like a cigarette uh, when I, uh, right before I bathed her. And that to me was... Um, it it was heartbreaking and it was an aha moment, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that my baby smelled like an ashtray uh, <laughs> because I was I had been kissing her and playing with her that was tough. Um, yeah. That's when I made the decision of you know I'm I'm quitting this crap. I don't want to smoke anymore, uh, and I'll do whatever it takes because I don't want my daughter. First, smelling like an ashtray. Second, growing up around it. And third, having that example from me. Uh, you know, uh, so I did. I, I did. I just, you know, did everything I had to do to quit smoking cigarettes. And, and I did. Uh, April 2014, I, I quit smoking. And a little later that year, I started having some anxiety, and uh, which later on they diagnosed as anxiety and depression. Uh, but it was, I will have uh, what they call panic attacks. I couldn't breathe. So I'll, let's say I'll wake up two in the morning and I couldn't breathe and I didn't know why. And I would just put my shoes on and go running because I, I literally felt I couldn't breathe. And so I felt like I needed to run. So I, I will go out whatever time it was at night and I will just run until I felt better and I could breathe. And, uh, you know, I, I will go back, take a shower and go back to bed. This, uh, this happened, started happening pretty often. I didn't know why. All I knew is that I, I could, if I ran, it'll go away. Um, and so that's how I got started with my running. Of course, I I, I went to the doctor and uh, they diagnosed me after. First, I, I had an episode. I was surfing in Galveston uh, here in Houston. We, My wife and I went uh, just to spend some time at the beach. And I was surfing and I came out feeling dizzy and my chest was hurting, my left arm was numb, and I mm. 
honestly thought I was having a heart attack. So she rushed me to the ER and they, they told me I needed to go immediately to a cardiologist. They made the appointment and they, they said, we're going to call an ambulance, ambulance for you. So I told them, no, thank you. We'll just drive ourselves. I don't want to deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> with them driving me if we didn't go. And I don't want that bill. Uh, but, <laughs> so they were trying to upsell me. <laughs> so anyway, we we went and they, for two weeks, I think they did all kinds of hard tests on me. And the doctor couldn't find anything. I mean, there was, he told me, your heart is in perfect shape. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. So I don't know what, what it could be. Um, so I went to a general practitioner, and he told me what you have is anxiety and depression. So they put me, they prescribed some antidepressants uh, that I've been taking since then, since 2013. So fast track into 2014, you know, even after taking the, these meds, I was still having that anxiety, which I think it has to do with the drop in the cigarettes. But that's how I started running, I guess, officially. Uh, and I will do it every day. So no days off. And it was not because I was training. It was because I needed it. Uh, mm -hmm. So I wouldn't. So either I will you know, stop the anxiety attacks or uh, I will, I would avoid them by running earlier. Uh, so as a consequence of that, I started getting injured. Uh, you know, the first shin splints, then, uh, you know, ankle issues and then my knees. And so I, I needed the exercise, but I couldn't run. So I had, I was like, I'm going to start swimming. Uh, you know, no impact, zero impact, and it, it will get me that cardio uh, exercise that I need for my anxiety. So I started doing it. Um, and, you know, at, at first, and we all know that kicking, uh, swimming kicks you in the butt really bad. Uh, so I, I will yeah. swim two laps and I was done. I was exhausted. I had to uh, either go home or stop for get a 10, 15 minute rest or, uh, and then, but I stayed consistent and I started getting better. Uh, uh, and at the same time, my, my cousin Kitin, who he at the, at the time was already a, a, a Ironman. He had done Ironman Florida and avid cycler and triathlete. So I was always following his story, and, and I was very inspired by him. Uh, so I, that's where I got the idea. If I'm cycling, I'm sorry, if I'm swimming and, and running, why not throw in the cycling and, and do a, an Ironman triathlon? Or, yeah, why not? Uh, eventually an Ironman triathlon, but do, you know, get into triathlons and see what happens. Uh, so I... With my income tax return, I bought myself a tri bike, a very basic tri bike. Nice. Uh, and yeah, and and 
as a way of, of not having a way out, I signed up for uh, Ironman Texas 70.3 in Galveston. That was 2015. So I started training for it. I, I had no way out, right? Now that's quite an investment, too, right? Like it's not cheap to sign up for an Ironman or a half Ironman. It is not. And and then the gear. No. I mean, I, I, I think I didn't know what I was getting into financially, yep. uh, honestly, <laughs> because <laughs> I had, it's so much gear you have to get. And, and we make it so much gear because, it yeah, the cycling part, you, you need to invest in a few things. But the, I think as tri- triathletes, we make it a, a lot of gear. We're gearheads. Uh, but anyway, I yeah, it was a it was quite the investment, but I was blessed with uh, you know having my wife was super supportive of me, and and she was at the time. I don't think she quite understood what I was doing and and why, but she supported me. Uh, so so yeah, I signed up and I started just informing myself. I bought me some books and. I watched a ton of videos on YouTube and I read a lot and I informed myself and I started training and um, my wife was my, I guess, nutrition coach and I was my own coach. And I, I, I had, now looking back, I, I had a very, very bare idea of what I was doing, but I was putting my whole heart into it. So that's what mattered. So that's after that, I, I also signed up for an, an Olympic triathlon that was two weeks prior to the 70.3. It was a Kima try here locally. Uh, and it's a, it was a race that will jump off of a boat, kind of like escape of Alcatraz. Okay. Uh, and then, yeah, same thing, but obviously conditions not as extreme. And then yeah. swim to shore, and yeah, I did my my Olympic race, and two weeks later, I did uh, Ironman seventy point three Texas. And how was that? How did how did it go? And how did you feel? For you know, for I had no idea. My first race, I remember, I jumped off the boat, uh, yeah. and I started swimming. Well. There's kicks and punches, as we all know, um, and Classic. open yeah. waters. Yes, yes. And then open water, and it was open ocean. So uh, I think second buoy, I was holding on to the buoy, with, and I couldn't breathe. I was having an anxiety attack. Oh. So, yeah, it was, it was quite intense. So I figured, well... I need to get to the shore, so I'm just going to grab onto each buoy if I need to, but I'm going to make it there. So that's what I did. I I will swim from buoy to buoy, hold on to it, breathe, and then just keep going. And and that was the chemo one. When I Two weeks later in Ironman, Texas, 70.3, same thing happened to me. And I think it happened... Uh, for four four or five races i just couldn't control it and then somewhere i read i was i was digging into it i was researching on what what was going on there was obviously something uh so i read somewhere that 
to bring your heart rate up uh, right before you start swimming, right? Right before getting in the water, start jumping, push-ups, do whatever you have to do, bring your heart rate up, and then that should help. And sure enough, it helped me. So what I was going through, it was my heart rate was going from, let's say, 90 to 145 in a matter of 10 seconds and my body and brain will respond with that flight or fight response response so you know after experiencing and trying it out and and figuring it out i i got rid of that so that that's one piece of advice i give to any new triathlete that i talk to and or that have that goes through the same thing. Um, based on an experience, I'm able to tell them, "Hey, dude, try this." So, yeah, but it, I, I didn't know what to expect. Sheila on on the Ironman 70.3, I had no idea what it, what to expect, and it was tough. Uh, I think I was not prepared uh, enough, especially for the bike leg, but I just powered through it and I finished it and um I was so proud of myself and I was of course hooked you know um <laughs> yep yes, it has but, a funny way of doing it, that doesn't it <laughs> <laughs> yeah you went through the finish line and you said I am not gonna do this ever again in my life and then the next day you are like you no know, like browsing say mm-hmm. you know what you yes. yeah and like look at my cool medal on my t-shirt this is really awesome i want another one <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly uh it's funny because i that that race my first 70.3 i i was talking to someone in uh in during the run but in the walking part of the run i'm going to say uh we were just power walking and i, I told one this person, I don't remember a guy or girl, but I told him, can you believe we paid to do this? And, and every race, every race I do now uh, on the running leg, I always, as a joke, I tell someone that same phrase, can you believe we paid to do this? Just to make it, to brighten their day and, you know, have a good laugh. But I've made it a tradition now. It's, uh, it's funny. Nice. And it's funny. I mean, it is funny too, like that, I, my friend just did Lake Placid last weekend uh-huh. and we went to watch and his legs like for the next day it was like we took we took videos of him trying to get into the restaurants like how long is it going to take him to get in some car to the restaurant and he said the same thing it was like I just paid like I don't know $1,100 Canadian to do this to myself <laughs> <laughs> it's true it's yeah. true <laughs> you know all the rituals after after the race are so funny. Just, oh, you know, the, I the know. Stairs backwards and all that. <laughs> Getting in the car—it's just a challenge. It is a challenge, but then you remember all the good things that that come from doing one of these events. The challenge that that we we undertake, right? Like, yes, it hurts. And partway through that, like you're, you were talking about the men, some of the mental things as well, but you think, my goodness, why the heck did I sign up for this? And why am I doing this? Yes. And then when you're done, you're like, I can't believe I just did that. Look how strong I am. Or, you know, even though I was hurting, I know I, can, I made it through and I know that I can take care of 
this other challenge in my life because I made it through this. I don't know if that's how you feel, but I feel that way. Absolutely. It's, uh, I was actually listening to a podcast that one of the doctors I work with, Dr. Patel, uh, recommended. Uh, it's, it's a guy called Ben Pakulski. He's an ex-professional bodybuilder, but now he's a yogi as well. And he, he's explaining how the neurochemical reward from doing something hard uh, is just crazy. It's, you know, I, it's, we, are, uh, we are, I guess, uh, our, we are wired to feel that neurochemical rewarding feeling after doing something hard. And I think that's what we get addicted to. It's, you know, that bliss mm -hmm. uh, that you feel after completing a race, not only because you finish the actual race, but it's uh, what a lot of people don't know is everything that comes uh, with preparing for a race, you know, not only physically, which is just a lot, you know, discipline and, and physical and mental discipline, uh, but also the you know the the self doubt the fears the uh, all the all the mental battles that we have to deal with on a daily basis. Some days you feel amazing. Some days you you're terrified because you don't feel like you're good enough to achieve your goal, and that's normal. I'm sure all of us go through that. So I, I think that's the fascinating part about our sport and you know sports in general is how we explore our fears you know how we face our fears and explore them rather than just running away from them or blocking them and burying them and how we overcome them and you know you come out on the other side way stronger mm. i just love that so let's fast forward a little bit you've done ironman texas or half uh, the 70.3 you now got hooked and you're training, but you're not feeling very well. Can you describe like what was going on in terms of the fatigue, the injury, things like that? Yeah. I, that you were getting? I, I was always training hard and never, I felt like I was not getting the results I should be getting. So I was getting a lot less on, than I was putting in. And for years, I, I didn't know why. Uh, for four years, I was, again, strange body uh, pain or uh, different physical responses to the stress of training that were not anywhere in the books or in the you know, literature or anywhere. And I, I remember now that I know what I have, uh, but going back, uh, ever since 2013, I have been going to my doctor, you know, complaining of fatigue, complaining of um, hand. Uh, one of my visits was uh, I had hand pain in my hands, my knuckles, my fingers, my wrists. Um, he told me, oh, you probably have uh, juvenile arthritis or something like that. I said, okay, and what do we do about it? He's like, that's normal. So it just, you know, it's, it's part of aging, ha, ha, ha. 
Okay. So. The doctor is telling me that, you know. Great. Yeah. I guess I'll, I guess I'll suck it up and keep aging, but, um, you You're know. You're not that then, old. <laughs> yeah, I'm 42. So at the time, I was, I think, 38, uh, 37, yeah. 38. Not that old. Um, no. But again, I, I, I trusted my doctor. Another visit was me having liver, the liver area, your upper right area. I had pain there and discomfort. And uh, I also went in because I felt extremely fatigued and I felt bloated all the time. So, of course, they gave me medicine for, I think it's called ranitidine or something like that. That was supposed to take the bloating away. Uh, and now and we're talking about visits of 10 minutes, right? Yes. And, and leave with a new prescription and piling out my meds. Uh, so uh, linking this to triathlon, I, I, I always felt like there was limitations that I didn't understand. And I thought it was me. I thought it was just the way it, it is and that's it. I, I didn't think twice about just keep doing what I was doing and keep informing and educating myself about how to train better. But I, I never thought there was something major wrong with me up until last year. So um, last year I was training for Ironman Texas, my first full Ironman. I'm sorry, Ironman Florida, mm -hmm. which was in November, November 2018. My cousin Kitina and I were going to do it together. Um, my training was going awesome. I was doing great and I was in great shape. And, and about a month and a half, I think, before the race, I was doing an FTP uh, test on my bike on the trainer and pushing as hard as I could the way it's supposed to be. And I felt my knee just something cracked inside my knee. And, oh. and that was it. I, I got injured. And I went to I went to three different doctors. One was at the um, Ironman uh, medicine sports medicine place, and then two other orthopedic doctors. And none of them could find. They told me my knee was perfect. <laughs> so, right, um, of course. <laughs> which yeah, of course, of course. X-rays show X-rays are great. Uh, there's nothing, it's probably overused. Uh, so just, you know, stay off and, and no running, no cycling, uh, just swimming. Okay. Of course, I had the race coming up and I was <laughs> worried. Of, yeah, for lack of better words, I was panicking because my knee was not getting better and I was not training. Uh, I was just swimming and it's my first full Ironman. And you know what? What am I going to do? And I, I put all the all the creams and rubs on my knee and iced uh, like crazy and knee braces and um, you know uh, ice during work and it it just didn't get better. So unfortunately, I had to pull out of the race. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because I was looking you up on sports stats and I saw that your the Florida one. Um, didn't have any times beside it, so I had to pull out. Yes, and and 
l luckily they let me uh you know defer to this year but i was heartbroken yeah I was devastated. I, I was doing so good. I, I had been looking. I, I signed up for this race a year before. So yeah, we signed up December, uh, if I'm not mistaken, December of the previous year, 2017. So it was so much anticipation and excitement and yeah. preparation and everything that comes with it. And I couldn't do it. So I was heartbroken and I didn't know why um so i a little bit uh, so this was in october in november uh, i remember thanksgiving weekend but yeah thanksgiving weekend i got so sick uh i i was uh what what did i have i i just remember it was i was very sick i was in bed, I couldn't get up. I, if I will get up, let's say to walk from my bed to the bathroom, I'll get dizzy and I had to grab onto the walls. Mm. Um, again, my liver area was hurting. It was just uh, an, an ongoing onset of just, I felt like I was, I really felt, I don't know what death feels, feels like, but I felt like I was either, I felt like I was dying or that there was something extremely wrong with me, like um, cancer or something really bad. Um, so That's frightening. Yeah, it was scary. Uh, I also couldn't go to work for a few days and then I had to go. So I started going, feeling super sick. Uh, and, you know, I I had to figure out what was wrong and... I started going in and out of doctors. Uh, again, I, I unfortunately, the experience of finding the the right doctor is is tough. I think I I I've never went back to four or five of them because they were just not taking the time to really dig into what was wrong. Yeah, especially with something uh, something as big, right? So you would think that uh, if you if you have something. A sort of a big disease is something uh, as easy for any doctor to spot, right? Exactly. Uh, but then I guess the frustration is that you feel super bad, uh, almost to the point of dying, like you just said, and uh, no one, uh, after visiting multiple doctors, has been able to tell you something other than, you're doing fine, son. <laughs> that is the most frustrating thing. Yeah, and I know like sometimes, a lot of times physicians will look at you, you're in your 30s, you're fit. You Iron Man. You can't possibly have anything really bad. <laughs> that is so true. Sheila. So, I mean, you'll get over it. That's my main thing. That was the most frustrating thing. Was, hey, you're you're 41. You're you're a young man. You're fine. You know, just uh, lay off your training a little bit. You'll be fine. There's nothing wrong with you. And you know, there's something wrong with you when you know, you know. So that was the worst part. But I finally found a doctor that took the time to, he took the time I needed. He paid attention. He listened. Uh, uh, his name is Dr. Karia. He's a uh, rheumatologist. Mm -hmm. I also went to a, a, a gastroenterologist because my liver was 
showing signs of liver damage and uh you know my my levels were abnormal um and again all kinds of tests and we did a liver biopsy and they drew blood like crazy um and after a month of testing he told me my liver was perfect uh you know he said maybe you have a little bit of fatty liver that can be controlled with diet but your liver is perfect. I was relieved, but at the same time, I, I knew there was something wrong. So I was frustrated. Dr. Caria, the rheumatologist, he told me, you know what, your your blood is not showing that you have a, any auto, autoimmune disease, but all your symptoms, everything you're describing, uh, points to rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, so that's, and I said, okay, but what if it's not, you know, it's like, it's, it's like you're kind of guessing, but he told me, no, it's sometimes, uh, it, your exams are serve negative, which means they don't react to the blood test, but all the symptoms you have clearly show that you have rheumatoid arthritis. And not only that, yours is very aggressive. So, um, he said, I would like to start treatment. We're going to give you all these meds and we'll see you in a month. And so December last year, uh, they, I started treatment and they put me on uh, a cocktail of meds, uh, methotrexate, oh, wow. and methotrexate, which is, uh, yeah, it's a very strong, uh, it's a very strong med that, pretty much shuts down your immune system but from top to bottom left to right you know and it just shuts it down and that uh, prevents your body so what rheumatoid what rheumatoid arthritis is is your body attacks itself there's your body thinks it's inflammation there's something wrong and attacks right and so there's nothing in reality, there's nothing to attack. So what it causes is for it creates inflammation and it, uh, it destroys your, your joints. Um, in my case, it was also, there was also a systemic uh, responses. So my liver was reacting negatively to whatever was going on. Uh, and then my, my lungs were inflamed. There was inflammation in my lungs and my heart was, I don't remember what they told me, but there was something, uh, there's a tissue that gets inflamed with it too. So anyway, methotrexate, uh, prednisone, which is a corticoid, uh, steroid, and then Folic acid, vitamin D2, uh, meloxicam, which is uh, for pain, and then gabapentin, which is an anti-convulsive med that is also used for pain. Um, but anyway, super high doses of it, of everything, just to start. And, and yeah, I started feeling better. Uh, I started getting back to being able to function but at the same time, the, the usual side effects of meds, right? Yeah. Uh, so 
I had to learn. I, I was feeling better on, on one side, but then I started dealing with side effects uh, on the other end. So uh, it was a battle learning how to balance everything out. But yeah, that's, I've been doing the treatment. Well, the treatment's changed, and I'll, I'll tell you guys about it. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's my, that's the story of how I got diagnosed and how I started my treatment and how I started my 2019. So what? Wow. So how, you're saying the treatment's changing. So do they have something new out there for you or that's better? Yeah, so, uh, so I started January, I started feeling better. I was signed up for I am in Texas. Yeah. Uh, again, I had I was <laughs> I was freaking out because I I signed up before getting diagnosed, and here I was being told that I shouldn't run, and I should do light cycling, which by the way doctors think uh, cycling is like that gym, yeah. the gym bikes that you just sit there and watch the TV and move your legs, right? You can have a nap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, I mean, they don't picture what we do, which is like Z4, C4 intervals pushing 200 and, or 300 watts, whatever you can. It's, they don't picture that. So, uh, so light cycling and no running and just swimming as normal. And, that's it. So I had Ironman Texas coming up, but I was feeling better. So I think in February, I started training for Ironman Texas. By, by this time, my meds had fully kicked in. And, and again, my pain was uh, a lot less. It was not gone by any means, but it was a lot less. And uh, uh, I felt like, you know, I, I was hopeful that I could do it. Um, so again, I was doing my training the best I could. I was feeling good. I was very hopeful and, uh, I was doing, I was going on some really good runs, uh, Sundays, long runs. And as soon as you know it, I had a stress fracture on my foot. <laughs> I went to the doctor because I couldn't walk and he told me I had a stress fracture on my fifth metatarsal. So it was the, I want to say like looking at your foot uh, lengthwise in the mid part, the outer, outer mid part of it. Okay. Uh, it was swollen. It was purple. Um, and he told me, you know, you're not going to like this, but you at least 12 weeks, <laughs> no running. Uh, light cycling 12 weeks i'm like doc but my race is in eight weeks <laughs> uh he's like i know so i'm not gonna say anything because i don't want to make you mad but just do your math so i i told him i asked him i said so i shouldn't do the race right that's what you're saying he said no you shouldn't all right so <laughs> they put me on a boot those uh boots yeah they give you and that was my life for the next few weeks, working and, you know, taking off the boot at night and icing and just doing it all over again. I couldn't run. I couldn't cycle. Uh, so I focused on swimming. I said, 
you know, I'm, I know I'm not going to do the race or I'm not supposed to do it, but at least I'm going to keep, keep the fitness I had gained, you know, to the best of my abilities by swimming. So I, I started swimming like crazy. Uh, and I would go to the pool sometimes and do uh, those, you know, uh, water runs. Yeah. And I will just get so frustrated because it, it was not the same. I had the race coming up in four weeks and I wasn't feeling better. It, I was still hurting a lot and my foot was still getting uh, black at the end of the day from walking and at work. Right. Yikes. Uh, so oh, that's awful. yeah, I mean, I had to do it. I, I couldn't sit at work and, and I would try to not overdo it, but I will come home, take, take my boot off and my foot was swollen and, and purple and bruised and, you know, I'll ice it and just, that's it. So that, it was so tough. Again, my heart was broken. Uh, it was my second full Ironman that I was going to have to pull out of. To cancel. And yeah. 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 Uh, so it was that internal battle of should I just go for it and do what the best I can or should I do the smart thing uh, and not do it? And there's always another race. And everyone I talk to, my you know triathlete friends, or runner friends will tell me, you know, there's always, I mean, you can always do another race, just take care of your foot, just do the, do the, do it right. Um, the doctors were telling me this. Hmm. So in my heart, I felt like I needed to do this race. And there was one for it. I was talking to Susan. She's a, uh, uh, triathlete friend. She was doing that race too. And she told me just, you know, she told me exactly what I wanted to hear from someone. It was just go for it, try it. If you know, worst thing is you just don't finish it, but you knew you went into it knowing you did it your best. Uh, just have take your wife. Uh, I'm sorry, take have your wife take your boot, and if you need it, you walk the run, and you know, just go for it. And that, that was it. That's exactly what I needed to hear. That was exactly what I was thinking. And that's what I did. I, uh, I told the line that day, having not <laughs> run or biked in, what, two months? I had just been swimming like crazy, but I, I did the race anyway. Okay, let, let me see if I understand this. Because I think I'm, I'm going to freak out. Uh, so I think you decided, right, against your doctors, um, against the, the professional doctor's like advice. Everybody's uh, advice. And everybody's advice, with the exception of that friend, one friend, right, not do uh, running and only do light cycling on those bicycles on the gym while watching Ellen in the morning. <laughs> and uh, you were swimming like crazy, and then you go and you know you show up on this Ironman 140.6 race after two months of no running and no biking. That is correct. <laughs> You'll be amazing. What it's, you'd be amazed what swimming can do for you. It can get you through a lot. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. No, yeah, Charles. That's what I did. I, I, 
I just did it. I just went for it. Um, one thing though, that helped me a lot is, um, while I was, um, dealing with the, the stress fracture before the race, my friend Antoine, who's an Olympic runner here, he's based out of Houston. And he told me, Hey, um, let me bring you to this cryotherapy place, uh, place. His, uh, name is cryo recovery. And, you know, let's see if they can help you. So I went and I started doing cryotherapy and then there's a, a, a photo biomodulation bed, which is LED light treatment. Oh, and then, yeah. And then, uh, they also, uh, did altitude training with, uh, oxygen deprivation. Uh, Oh, it's called O2, uh, O2 altitude training or something like that. Um, so they, they actually did it. They knew what my goal was and they wanted to help me. So they, they did the altitude training, uh, for free just to help me out. And nice. I did it for weeks. Yeah. They were so nice. Uh, so I did that altitude training about two or three times a week, uh, with them. Uh, and that, I mean, what they do is they put you in, uh, saturated oxygen and then they cut it off and they put you a, uh, they deprive you and so you build that uh you build that endurance and, and it's just so i've during race day i felt amazing and i think a lot of it had to do with not only my swimming but also all the uh oxygen training and and the, the cryotherapy and my foot felt a little better too so, um, yeah, that was a big part of my preparation for Ironman Texas too. At least, you know, I, I wasn't trained, but I, I was at least cardiovascular. I was, I had some improvement there, but yeah, I went into the race like that, Charles. Um, wow. it was, it was a pretty crazy call. Impressive. Okay. So now comes the next question. Uh, so I don't fully freak out or I just end up freaking out so you go into this race and obviously you didn't die because you're here talking to us today mm -hmm. uh but uh just what happened just uh bring me out of my misery okay so i i did the race that day uh, i had this uh overwhelming sense of peace and confidence and just that feeling that of that I was doing the right thing. I don't know how to explain it to you, but I knew I was doing the right thing. I had peace about it, and I was not nervous. Uh, of course, I had you know pre-race jitters and, and the normal, but I was not uh, freaking out the way I should have because I was not prepared for it. Um, my mind was in, in the perfect place. And I think, I really think that's what carried me through uh, those 140 miles. But I, I started the race. I, I had a, a good swim with some equipment difficulties. My, my goggles, I made the mistake of not adjusting my goggles the right way. And so I had some leaking and I had to turn, you know, 
facing up, just fixing and get rid of the water. But overall, I had a, a good swim. I, I felt strong. I finished strong. Uh, and I was aiming to do a little less time for my swim, but, uh, but I, I was still happy. I came out of the water feeling strong, feeling good, smiling. I was very present. And I was the one thing I promised myself I was going to do was enjoy the race and really look around and appreciate everything I was going through, you know, mile after mile, just appreciating what was going on and what was happening. So I came out of the water. Again, I have pictures smiling. My wife was, <laughs> my wife was, I saw her when I was going to get my, at 41, my wife was bawling, you know, <laughs> filming at me and crying. Uh, pretty emotional. Uh, and I got ready for my bike. And then, uh, you know, I was, ner I was nervous because I had to bike 112 miles. Having not biked in a couple months. And also my foot was still broken. So yeah, I was afraid of uh, yeah, I was afraid of uh, my foot giving up on me. But still, I went out there and I, I was enjoying my mile after mile. And when when we there's a point like you get out of the woodlands and then you hit the Hardy Tollway, uh, which is where I think 80 miles of the, the bike leg happened. And as soon as we got on the tollway. The, the headwind was just brutal. And I remember thinking, that's where, when my mind uh, battle started happening. I remember thinking, there's no way. I was looking at my Garmin computer and seeing that I was a mild, I think 17 or 20. And I was already feeling exhausted. And I, I kept thinking, there's no way I can do this. 112 miles, I, I, I'm not feeling good, you know, and I'm pushing uh, this wind, kicking my butt. I, I, so I kept, you know, convincing myself I could do it. And, and then my mind was just telling me I, I couldn't do it. And I remember stopping at one of the eight stations around, I think it was mile 40, uh, right before the turnaround. And I stopped because my neck was killing me. My foot was killing me. I was in a lot of pain and I needed, I needed to stretch my back. I was obviously not biking for so long. I was, the aero position was not as comfortable. <laughs> That's an understatement. <laughs> yeah, I know. It, it, it's, uh, it, the, that aero position was really killing me back in my uh, hips but anyway i stopped and just to stretch out and uh, ice my foot real quick uh, and this lady came to me i mean volunteers were amazing and she came running she said do you need anything sweetheart and i she's like i said no i'm okay i'm just stretching my neck it's killing me so she came around and started massaging my neck and she started praying for me she is this older lady, amazing lady, and she started praying for me. I could hear her praying for me, right? Uh, and 
I got my mic to keep going. Of course, thank you so much and everything. But um, I turned around and I felt uh, amazing after she prayed for me. Uh, I don't know what happened, but I felt great. Uh, the the turnaround was, you know, tailwind. Um, here I am going like 25, 26 miles an hour, enjoying it again. It was night and day difference. Uh, so I I said, okay, so I have uh, tailwind for the next what 20, 25 miles. So I'm gonna just gonna push and enjoy it, and then uh, I'll deal with the uh, headwind again when I turn around. And I did. I I had an amazing uh, comeback. I guess coming back was amazing. I was going fast. Then turn around, headwind again. It was miserable, but I knew I could do it. Uh, of course, when I, I saw that aid station, I stopped real quick and I, the lady saw me and I was like, hey, can you pray for me one, one more time? <laughs> <laughs> it really helped me. So, so she did. She prayed for me again and I left and I, I was just so excited to know uh, around mile 70, I knew I could do it. Uh, and I just had a, a, I was lifted up so, so amazingly i finished the bike and i couldn't believe it uh, i was so happy and i was so excited to see my family too because it, it took me like i think it was seven hours and 40 minutes or something like that i can't remember so it took me a while uh, so i saw my wife and my kids and uh, i was super happy to see them i went and into the tent to get ready for the run and I took my my uh, sock off and my left foot was I think no I think it was both feet were bleeding like my toenails oh, so what happened was they were super swollen my feet were swollen like uh, abnormally swollen so with RA I think what happened is uh, my body reacted uh, to to so much stress from the bike, right? <laughs> to almost yeah. eight hours pushing, that it got it. My reaction was uh, inflammation, so my feet got so swollen that uh, they were rubbing against my my cycling shoes, and that caused my toes to bleed, and they were already bruised up and and bleeding. Now again. Here I am looking at my feet and thinking, okay, but I just came this far, right, to to pull out of the race. I, I mean, I have to do it. So I just put my new pair of socks on and I put my running shoes off. Oh, I'm sorry, I put my running shoes on uh, and off I went to get that run done. To a marathon. Yep, the marathon. Uh, and... <laughs> I I wasn't my my stress fracture was hurting me a lot. Uh, my toes were obviously bleeding and hurting, but man, my heart was so happy and my mind was uh, ready to get it done. So that's all I needed, and I 
I think I ran the first nine miles pretty good. Uh, obviously pacing myself, but pretty good. And then I started doing run walks, you know, because I, I, I was in a lot of pain. I can't believe that you ran at all. Like, that's amazing. Mm. I did. I didn't, I didn't want to just walk. You know, I, I, I think my, my heart and mind were connected and were in such a good place that I was ready to run. I was not going to let, you know, these injuries take away, take away from me running my, at least part of my marathon on, on my first iron. So I, I, I went for it. So you, you made it through with bleeding feet swollen feet, a stress fracture. I mean, you must have like amazing mental like fortitude. And you you crossed the line in time. So I looked up your time. It was 1642. Yes. Yeah. And with time to spare, you made it across the line. How did it feel when you were coming down the chute? knowing you were going to cross the finish line after all the things you have gone through to get there. I was just, my heart was coming out of my chest, uh, feeling so proud of myself. And I felt like I, I felt like I was crossing the line, not only for myself, but for my family uh, and for everybody that has what I have or maybe other uh, physical limitations and and the Ironman uh, motto phrase I guess the anything is possible was it's so true it's like anything is possible so that's what I kept that's what I kept repeating myself now throughout the whole race though I something uh, I guess uh, worth noting was there was this I kept hearing the word fight throughout, especially during the bike. Uh, I kept hearing the word fight. It was like a, it sounded like a, I don't know. It was, it was a, a very determined, like almost an order uh, sounding voice saying fight. Every time I'll feel discouraged or I will start hurting so bad, I'll hear that fight. So that's what kept me uh, strong, I think, throughout the race. So, so w when I got to the f uh, finishing uh, finishing line, the the shoot, I just I was so proud of myself. Uh, there was so much that went into finishing that race that I, I just couldn't believe it, and I was so tired too. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> right. Yeah, that's a long I, time and a lot of pain to go through. Like. I bet you were tired. Yeah, it was it was a long day. It was a long day for sure. But it's, I just had a lot of time to think about, you know, what happened that day. And I think summing up, I I was able to empower myself mentally. I I my mindset is I can do anything. You know, I might not be ready yet, but I story told myself that I was. And, and I think translating that into everyday life, it's attitude is everything. To me, I crossed that finish line with attitude. That's it. My body was not ready, but my mind was. And it's something I wanted so bad. Um, I was 
not willing to give up a second race. So I just went for it and just with the right mindset and a whole bunch of attitude. Absolutely. And I think, um, I mean, this, I mean, obviously it's an impressive story. I was e eating my, my nails. <laughs> as, uh, <laughs> I wasn't sure if you're going to make it or not. Uh, I didn't, I didn't want to the uh, on Iron Man website. Like Sheila I was just, I just tried to keep it to myself. Like, uh, I just wanted him to tell me and uh, just, Sorry. yeah, but, uh, no, 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 it's okay. It's all right. It's all right. <laughs> but, uh, but then I think what we're seeing here is one of the most impressive examples of Ironman Blues because not only you finish this thing after so much pain, but uh, as I see, I, I don't want to give out the story, but I just saw on your Instagram that you already have two more on the pipeline already, which is impressive. I do. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, uh, I was, so I rolled over Ironman Florida, right? So uh, that's happening uh, November this year. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. So, but then right after I finished Ironman Texas, and we talked about this earlier, is, you know, I I think a week later, I was like, I, I need to do this race again uh, with a, with, without a broken foot. I want to do it, you know within my limitations because of RA, but I want to push myself and be able to run the whole marathon and just do it right. I want to see how it's going to be. Uh, so I signed up again uh, and my cousin Kitin and friend Philippe are doing it also. So uh, we're going to have a party next April and uh, I'm doing Florida with my cousin also so uh yeah. yeah it's so the challenge now guys is uh, how can i get now i know my limitations and i know it's happened twice that if i, I start training the way my uh my training uh calls for i will get injured right so the challenge is how am i going to leverage my what my training calls for and my RA so I can get to race day uh, healthy or, or somewhat healthy, right? Uh, so that's what I'm working on right now is is adjusting my training to not get injured and maybe not getting to race day in, in the most ideal shape, but at least getting to race day. So that's why I signed up to do. Um, I signed up to do the Ironman's uh, coach certification, uh, which I just finished uh, probably three weeks ago. Uh, oh wow! Congratulations! To, yeah, thank you, thank you. I uh, I think that was one of the best things I've done because uh, I gained so much insight on the behind the scenes and the science behind. Uh, our training, and now I'm smartly being able to tweak my training to, to I guess, customize it to my RA and my physical limitations, so I can get to race a in in the best shape I can, I guess, mm -hmm. uh, within my RA limitations. So it helped me to know the the science behind everything to 
to do it smartly. Uh, so I'm really excited about that. Uh, and that's my goal is my goal is getting to Ironman, uh, Florida and Ironman, Texas, not injured. And then you only need nine more for the legacy spot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh gosh. But yeah, and I, I've been doing, Come on, that's not in the back of your mind somewhere. <laughs> yes. I, I mean, my mind is, my mind, uh, drifts and and dreams a little bit too much uh i was looking at the norseman triathlon a couple of days ago and i was like i need to do that oh my goodness yes <laughs> um i know but again i you know i don't know how much longer i will be able to do this for uh the sad reality with ra is you know at some point it it's it's a uh, at some point you will be disabled and at some point, some point I won't be able to do any running or biking or even swimming. So, uh, I'm enjoying the now I'm enjoying what's happening right now. And I'm, you know, uh, some people tell me, why don't you, you know, take it easy so you can save some, uh, or, or make it last longer. But, to me, it's like let's let's have fun now. Let's go all out now, and I'll worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow, exactly. Uh, maybe for some people, it might be a little irresponsible thinking. For for me, it's not. It's it's uh, you know, what if I didn't you know go all out, and I don't know. I just don't know. I I think this is the right thing to do. And, and I'm pushing the limits of what's possible. Uh, and I am uh, being able to inspire other people and be inspired by other people. And now with the uh, Ironman certification, I can also help uh, people that are maybe starting in the sport, you know, and, and I'm excited about that. I feel like I'm in the right place doing the right thing. And I'm happy about that. Absolutely. I think, and I think no, I mean, no one, people, none of us know whether we can continue doing triathlon tomorrow. I mean, exactly. maybe a car just uh, runs over me tomorrow on the way to work and that's it. Bye-bye. Don't say that. Well, uh, yeah, like <laughs> just to give a very dramatic example. But yeah, but it's true. It's true. I mean, yeah, you exactly. never know. I mean, that's what uh, that's what everyone says. But it's so true. It's you never know. It's just you know, do what makes you. Yeah, I mean, we all watch this uh, this this uh, Japanese uh, old grandpa uh, finishing the, the Kona every year. And we always wonder, can we can can that be me? So can, yeah. can we actually like you know like get to seventy to eighty years old and be the the sole competitor or the only two competitors of this race in this age group uh, and and finish uh, strong an Ironman? But uh, you never know. I mean, there's, there's so many things that happen in life. It, maybe it's not f even physical disability, or maybe you just I don't know focus on other things in life. It's so many things can happen. So I think what you're doing is is amazing. You no, know? it's just uh, it's, it's, it's actually it's even super interesting the fact that you're so motivated. You actually went and did the certification yourself because 
you really want to know the nitty gritty of how can you maximize your success with the with the time you've got. Yes, uh, thank you, and 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 I agree with you. I mean, I I think the pain of regret is worse than the pain of being disciplined and training your butt off. You know. Oh yeah. So uh, absolutely. So yeah, absolutely. And and I was I was. Uh, listening to this podcast I mentioned earlier about this bodybuilder and he was saying, you know, you pick your discipline rather than it being picked for you because at the end of the day, one of the two is going to happen. So might as well you pick your pain uh, and choose your pain rather than it being chosen for you. And, and I think that's so true is, you know, it's choose what you want to do, pick what you want to, be disciplined on and pick what kind of pain you want to go through because you will anyway. Oh yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Most definitely. <laughs> right. One way or another, right. it's going to happen. Right. So, uh, and, mm -hmm. and to experience bliss, you must experience pain. Uh, there's no, there's no lukewarm. Absolutely. That's true. Mm. Right. So as, um, as our dear old um, leader Swap Neil would uh, would say, we need to get these things wrapped up <laughs> um, to keep it the structure. You know, we're super structure again. This is my Swiss side coming out of me again. Uh, but and this has been amazing. I think we can do a, a second whole section with you again, uh, so you can get us into the in, into the Alfredo two point zero. <laughs> I will be happy to. Right? Yeah, definitely. I think we would love to have you back. Uh, but today you're not going away without going through the mandatory four questions. Okay. Yeah. Yes. I'm going to do one by one. And uh, so I'm going to give you the first one. Very easy one. Actually, no, I think this is the second most complicated, I think. But yeah. So number uno, number one, what message would you want people listening to this to take away from your story? It's all in the mindset and it's all about attitude. Uh, use your fears and your doubts as fuel to grow. Don't let any self-doubt or any fears keep you from achieving your goals. I mean, it's going to be very painful, even more painful than you think. But you will come out way stronger on the other side. Very true. So number two, are there any people or brands that you would like to give a shout out to today? Uh, so many people. Um, first and foremost, my, my amazing wife, Kathleen, and my daughters, Emma Joy and Olivia. Uh, we are a tribe family. Uh, we, it's, it's funny because my wife is doing triathlons now also. She, she did her first super sprint a couple of months ago. So she's all into training now. And our kids are pro uh, spectators. Uh, they, are, they love going to races and they know how, you know, the order and they know everything about it. Uh, so I, I love that, that we, we do triathlon as a way of uh, integrating and, and family dynamics rather than just me training and being away from them. Uh, it's We do it all together. It's something we all do. Uh, 
my cousin, Kitin, who's been a huge supporter of mine and uh, believes in me so much. Uh, my All my friends back home and my friends here, the triathlon community is amazing. All my friends uh, that follow me on Instagram, uh, they know who they are. They are I talk to them always. Um, you know, the brands that uh, support me and believe in me and that I'm able to wave the flag for uh, I-Core, uh, Alt-Red, uh, First Endurance, uh, Kiwami, um, Zoot, uh, and <clears throat> All Out Endurance. Um, and then the guys at uh, Cryo Recovery who, uh, you know, got me all good to go for Ironman Texas and I'm still going and seeing them and they help me uh, manage my pain to the best possible. And just my, my family overall. Uh, there's so many people that I owe so much to that, you know, the most important thing one can have is other someone believing in you. And there's so many people out there that believe in me and that believe that I can do the things I want to do. So to all of them, a big, big heartfelt thank you. And of course, to you guys for inviting me. All right. So question number three, and this is before we ask our last question. So, and this is the easiest question. So no pressure. Okay. Uh, can you tell everyone where can they find you online? Yeah, I'm on I'm on Instagram. Uh, my Instagram handle is Alfred, like Alfredo, but Alfred Allende, which is my last name. And <clears throat> yeah, that's where I'm. That's where I'm at. That's where I'm active on social media. I have a Facebook, but I'm I'm not really active on it. I like Instagram better. Me too. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel it, it's a it's a lot less invasive. It's I don't know. I I like the the way it's framed out a lot better. And and the tri community on Instagram is is huge. So tons of yeah. inspired people there. All right. And last and most importantly, why do you try? Uh, that's a, a huge one. I could probably talk twenty minutes about it, but. Um, I think uh, I try because I want to face my fears, face my challenges. Uh, again, I want to use them as fuel to understand who I am and, and what my why is. You know, the why uh, we have is ever-changing, just like everything. So I think it's important for us to always be alert and trying to understand what our why is today. Uh, it might change tomorrow, but we need to be aware of what it is today. Um, I also want to uh, inspire my family and my the people around me uh, and, you know, just help other people understand that we can do everything we want to do. It's just a matter of really being willing to go through what it takes. Uh, you know, there's, we, we will have limitations. We all do. Uh, 
but it's about you and how you want to, are you going to let them really limit you and tell you what or what you shouldn't, what you should do or shouldn't do, or are you going to decide that? Uh, in my case and with RA, I'm, I'm challenging it big time. I, uh, I, I remember telling my wife when I was diagnosed, I said, heck no, I'm, I'm going to fight this thing. I don't know what or how it's going to be, but I'm going to fight this and I'm not going to let this take away from what I love or, and what I like doing. So, and that's what I'm doing. And it's some days it's, you know, I'm crushed. Uh, some days I can't get out of bed because I'm in so much pain. Uh, and then some days I'm just fighting it and going all out and giving it my best and, and doing, putting in the fight, doing the work for fighting for what I want. Um, so, I mean, there's so many reasons why I try, but that's, that's, I think one of my main ones, aside from the fact that I want to grow as a as a person, as an athlete, as a father, as a husband, you know, I want to grow uh, my integrity. And by integrity, I mean, you know, being, if I say, if I say I'm going to do it, I do it. And that's something I read, I listened to uh, on that podcast as well is, you know, uh, just building your integrity to to the point where you are disciplined and you are proud of yourself. Uh, I think there's no better, there's no worse feeling than not feeling proud of yourself, that being frustrated and not, not liking yourself, that's the worst feeling ever. And then everyone around you is going to feel that. So just building that integrity and that discipline and, and that it's going to project in all, all aspects of your life, you know? Yeah. Good. That was awesome. Thank you for that. Very inspiring. Too. <laughs> Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was amazing to have you. Um, one, one little, one little thing I want to throw in there. It's uh, that I love is if you think you can't, then you must. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. All right. So I think it was a pleasure to have you, Alfredo. Uh, very, very fun conversation. Very inspiring, uh, I think. Uh, uh, very few podcasts that I've have been eating my my nails this way. <laughs> yeah, like very suspense. I think we can call it a thriller. Maybe we can change the the category of this of this podcast just for this episode because this is a thriller podcast. Yeah. <laughs> And you can come back anytime. Uh, I think there's uh, still many things we can talk with you. And uh, like I said, you are Alfredo 2.0. So, yeah, please feel free to come back. I would love to. It's up to whenever you guys, whenever you guys want me here, I'll be here. Um, It's been a pleasure talking to you guys, Sheila and and Charles. Uh, Thank you so much for making this conversation so easy and and so fun. And uh, I'm I feel blessed to be able to talk for almost two hours with you. Yeah. That's amazing. Actually, yeah, I think this is record. I think last a couple of weeks ago we had uh, we were breaking the record with uh, with another podcast, but I think now we've broken it again. We have, yeah, for sure, absolutely. <laughs> That's awesome. 
hopefully hopefully it wasn't boring hopefully we people listening out there will will be biting their nails too <laughs> it was a thriller how can it be boring exactly yeah <laughs> awesome all right and to all to our listeners thank you very much for following week after week uh i think you can uh, hear us back again next week on the same channel same episode same uh, same 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 <laughs> uh but with a different story definitely a different story and uh, for now to our all international audience uh, good night, buenas noches, bonsoir, gute nacht, ciao, chumuseo. Good morning, humans. Yes, it's time. It is come triple C, C cube, community comments with Charles. It's your, it's your guilty pleasure on your community work. It's your hot podcast reviews. Get revealed to the world. So this week's review is a five-star review titled Spot On from H.O.T., I love this podcast. Keep up the great content, guys. Five applause emojis. So this one comes from SMA551. And you know what? Uh, whoever you are, SMA551, uh, thank you so much for the support. Uh, however, talking about content, so the, actually the content that we provide you is because you guys want to share your incredible stories with us. So actually, thank you for the great content. And anyway... Remember to send us your reviews, anything you want to point out. Next week will be yours. Revealed here. So find us all on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. And guess what? Until next week, one human, one story at a time. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for being a part of this Humans of Triathlon community. Hope you're enjoying the show and the other content. Make sure to join us again next week here on the Hot Podcast, where we'll bring you another amazing guest and story from this Audrey but extra Audrey world of triathlon. Until then, everyone, keep trying. <laughs>